Welcome to the June edition of Information's Crossroads Podcast, where we deliver you the best in project finance news in 30 minutes or less, or we'll deliver you a free pizza. I'm John Burke, America's editor for Information News. We got less than a week to go before the USP3 conference scheduled to commence on Wednesday, June 12th at the Hyatt in Midtown, New York, amidst multiple developments that came out of the procurement world in recent days. Here to discuss are Abigail Miller and Melissa Gutru of the America's team. Welcome to the podcast, ladies. Later in the podcast, Latin American analyst Juan Pereira brings some updates to the table uh, south of the border. Melise, uh, why don't you kick us off and tell us about the market so far in terms of deal flow, how 2018 panned out, and um, what's to come in 2019, uh, specifically for uh, Greenfield PPP development in the U.S.? Thanks, JB. We are now at the beginning of the month of June, which is almost the end of the first half of the year. So I think this is a good time to do a little recap of what has happened in the last six months uh, in the USP3 market and also what we can expect for the rest of the year. Also, as you said, this comes at the right time as we are having the USP3 conference next week. Around this time last year, the USD 1.92 billion LAX uh, automated people mover deal had closed, ending the first half in a positive note. The project represented all components of a perfect P3, a strong consortium, uh, well-known sponsors, private activity bonds, and uh, large construction debt. This half of the year has been a bit less encouraging, with only two deals reaching financial close. The new work Conrack, so that was uh, just recently in May, for USD 500 million and consortium led by Fengates, and the Travis County Courthouse in April just two months ago. And this was led by Hunt Development. In fact, the latter, the Travis County Courthouse, is not a traditional P3, as it is more like a design-build finance. It doesn't have any equity. KeyBank provided the revolving credit facility for this one. On the debt side, up to now, we have only seen bank debt and no private placements or private activity bonds, which were quite high last year and quite important in volume, especially because of the LAX project, which had such a large amount of private activity bonds. As a point of comparison, four P3 projects closed in Canada this half year Canada, which was the second country uh, in our world rankings for Greenfield P3s in 2018, and only one in the UK. I think that this year will be considerably slower on the Greenfield P3 front. There are no big projects in view to close this year in the US. However, I think that there are a few projects to keep an eye on this year that could close or that can considerably at least advance. (laughs) One positive part. So we have the LA Civic Center. There's five teams that returned RFQs, including um, players such as Fengate, Plenary, Meridia, Macquarie. We even see SNC in one of the teams. There's the Honolulu Rail Transit. Uh, Plenary and ACS were shortlisted on that one. Some Nashville parking uh, airport and parking meters. Uh, Prince George County issued the RFQ just recently uh, for its public schools. It also wants to close by the, uh, reach financial close by the end of the year. I don't know how that will happen, but hopefully we'll see. We've learned over time that procurement agencies get blasted when they have aggressive timetables, although the projects that they are describing here, this is the Prince George's County uh, Schools Project, I believe was four or five schools, five, six, okay, five to six um, schools, and um, 
you know, I think uh, it's going to be a new experience, I think, for us because we haven't covered that many s- school designs over here. Yeah. There have been school projects elsewhere globally. Um, so that'll be one to watch. I think, yeah, they are saying six months. They want to get to a proponent and financial close by the end of the year. Yeah, a few more projects. Uh, one is the Denver National Western Center. Uh, RFQs were returned in May. Uh, teams included Macquarie and Plenary. Um, the Maryland Managed Lanes Project, we're all waiting for the RFQ to launch. Let's see what's going on on that one. Uh, should be imminent. Maybe the Miami-Dade Courthouse could advance. We still don't know w- what model exactly it will be under, but it will take uh, will s- certainly be an interesting one. Um, then I also ha- did a quick study to identify the average procurement time for projects in the U.S. So this is according to our data from information deals. On average, from the moment the RFQ for a project is issued to financial close, a project takes about 2.3 years. So we need to keep in mind that this number includes uh, environmental projects, which have, so this number is kind of inflated because of the very very lengthy process for these projects that take on average five years to close after RFQ launch. So those 2.3 years uh, are actually more 1.8 or something like that, so less than two years. That said, even though the greenfield activity hasn't been very strong, the brownfield and refinancing activity for P3s has been stronger than previous years. Um, So we've seen uh, how many? We have three refinancings that happened in this first half of the year and one sale. So uh, in terms of refinancing, we had Carlsbad refunding. There was... um, also, the sale of the Ohio River bridges with BBGI acquiring an additional 33% stake. So, um, quite a lot going on there. Two refinancing of uh, the highways in Puerto Rico, the PR22 and PR5. So, quite a few that went on this year compared to what we had seen in previous years. And I think that there are a few more deals that could advance this year and potentially close. Um, there were talks about a refinancing on the for the North Tarrant Expressway, uh, sale of Carlsbad, that's quite advanced, Connecticut Service Plaza, it's quite advanced as well. So there might, there might be a bit more uh, activity on the br- greenfield, uh, sorry, on the brownfield side and refinancing side. I also wanted to end on another positive note, just to say that if we look at the, all the deals in the market for P3s today, and that's taking into account very early stage projects, some might never be launched, but it's still, uh, I think it's still positive. There's a pipeline of 317 deals that are at either uh, pre-launch, uh, transaction launch, so RFQ launch, or pref- all the way through to preferred proponents. So that could close in the next years. <laughs> I won't say next year. <laughs> Uh, thanks for that update, Melise. Um, two points to that uh, regarding the um, private activity bonds. Uh, we're going to get an update that I think for certain at P3 next week. One of our keynote speakers on day one is going to be Dan De Bueno. Uh, he's the chief infrastructure officer, uh, newly minted chief infrastructure officer for the U.S. Department of Transportation. And uh, his department sits in, in charge of that program, basically. And he seems ready and willing to talk about it. On day two, speaking to another point Melise mentioned about uh, environmental projects, 
one of uh, the projects we've covered through um, a torturous, I think, four or five year period has been the Fargo-Moorhead project, which has been run by the um, U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Uh, joining us on day two as a keynote speaker is Aaron Snyder, who um, sits uh, as um, in charge of the funding and financing for WIFIA and P3 program development for the U.S. Army Corps of Engineers. Um, now, Fargo-Moorhead um, got a recent decision reversed, uh, and finally there seems to be indications that that project's going to proceed uh and they have teams shortlisted and that's going to be a really really good development to watch over the second half of the year uh anyway um on to some more uh recent developments melise had referenced maryland um there has been quite a um debate that took place this week regarding that project and here to tell us about it is abby abby why don't you go ahead and walk us through it a little bit Yep. Thanks, JB. Um, So this week, the Board of Public Works finally approved the P3 designation for the project, meaning that the governor and the Maryland DOT can go ahead and um, move forward with procurement. That said, there were a number of concessions to the project that the governor and the DOT had to um, exchange in order to get this approval. Um, One of the concessions basically changes the entire scope of at least the first phase of the project. Um, so initially the first phase was going to be, I think, between 5 and $7 billion, and it was going to include the DBFOM of price managed lanes in Virginia, starting at the George Washington Parkway, and then reconstructing and rehabilitating the American Legion Bridge and extending price managed lanes into Maryland um, along 495 and 270. Um, Now the first phase will only include improvements to uh, Interstate 270. That's because there's been a lot of political backlash. Um, Local governments have been attempting to pass legislation that could have impacted the timeline, that it could have made it more expensive, um, and that includes things like requiring further environmental studies, um, legislation that could have required individual county approval for uh, for each county that the toll lane would have extended into, which you know, then one county doesn't approve of it and suddenly the entire project is scrapped. Um, So, and while none of that has become law, it seems that uh, Governor Hogan kind of wants to garner a bit more public support or maybe legislative support uh, before pushing forward with the project, um, considering its scale. So yeah, like I said now, the first phase is improvements to I-270 and that's a a stretch of the highway that Starts at I-495 and extends to um, I-370. Um, he said in during the public works um, meeting on Wednesday that he's hoping the public or the residents in those ca- in Montgomery and Prince George's counties can encourage their legislators to come around uh, to using the price managed lanes for I-495 and the American Legion Bridge. Um, I guess those are the two counties that are putting up the most resistance to having these toll lanes. Um, And we're not exactly sure what the plan for this procurement is, um, if it will be a DBFOM, the scope, um, but it definitely will not be nearly as large as the first phase was uh, initially supposed to be or planned to be. Um, it's also not exactly clear what stages two and three will entail. The project will still be split into three stages, um, but we just don't know what the next two stages will be or when they'll come. 
Additionally, another concession was that the board and the governor approved a monorail feasibility study for I-270. Um, so this will allow local transit buses to use the managed toll lanes at no charge. Uh, also, right-of-way can't be taken away until the entire uh, environmental review process is complete. It doesn't seem like this is going to impact the procurement timeline from everything we've heard from people in the industry. They don't think it's going to. They think the RFQ is still imminent. Because the RFQ still hasn't been released, we definitely can't say that for sure. Um, and then once the process is complete, um, all of the contracts following procurement will have to go back to the board for approval before anything can be built, before financial close can be reached. Is the reduced I-270 proposal uh, inclusive of a managed lane, or is it going to be more the upkeep of the actual roadway? From my understanding, it's more of the upkeep. That's how it's worded. There certainly could be a managed lane. Um, it, and the way that the governor worded it, it almost seemed like there would be some sort of tolling apparatus because he worded it in such a way that suggested that he wanted people to get used to paying these tolls to see that see how much of an improvement it could make uh, in their lives. Um, so I think there could be a managed lane, but I'm not sure based on, I, I still haven't heard anything about the scope of this project. And based on, um, this was a, going to originally be phase two of the project, and it did not seem like there would be managed lanes um, when in the initial plan for this. But now because things have been switched up, I'm just not sure. Yeah, I mean, totally makes it easy to, for this to be a DBFOM, but right. absent that, it might as well just be a design build. Right, yeah. To, or whatever, yeah. whatever it is. I mean, yeah. that's interesting. Um, well, I guess we will find out once some RFQ is released. So at the US P3 conference next week, uh, Pete Ron from the Maryland Department of Transportation will be speaking fairly early. I believe he's on the road uh, panel scheduled for 10 or 10.30 that day. Uh, along with uh, another big road builder, uh, Jennifer Ament, the uh, head of Transurban North America. Uh, so hopefully we'll get some more insights on this uh, reduced proposal. Uh, thanks for that, Abby. Um, moving on to the great state of Illinois, another uh, avalanche of potential greenfield information came out last week in the wanting days of the General Assembly in the spring with a partisan government in place uh, Governor Pritzker was able to get a $40 billion infrastructure spending, spending bill passed that will be funded by, among other things, doubling the gas tax, charging a registration fee for electric vehicles, and other measures. The first Greenfield project out of this will be to build a $3.8 billion transit hub that will consolidate multiple agencies and be anchored by a commercial development. However, other measures were passed to encourage infrastructure spending, such as enacting tax breaks to encourage data center building, which is becoming a major, major greenfield initiative for infrastructure funds as of late. Um, and there, though there has been some hope for more projects, such as the long gestating I-55 managed lanes project, uh, it did not get passed by the General Assembly uh, during this session. Um, however, Pritzker's ambitions uh, less than six months into his term suggest this and other projects are coming. Juan, thanks for joining us today. Um, it's been a fairly active month, as always, in Latin America. 
Um, hard to isolate what's important, but there was a recent court development in Colombia and also um, potentially a funding in the works in Argentina, um, which uh, could have a meaningful impact on the market. So I thought it'd be good if we discussed uh, both of those topics today. Why don't we start talking about um, Argentina first? Uh, thanks for coming. Um, thank you for having me. No, I mean, in Argentina, what happened is um, we reported that Vice, which is a state-owned bank, a state development bank, which is also in charge of the PPPs, announced a credit line for $100 million uh, to start construction of the PPP projects. Uh, this is a sign that the PPP program is quite not ready yet to reach financial close, uh, as they are, if we do the math, they're doing $100 million. We don't know how much each project is going to get, but we're talking about six projects, so roughly uh, we can do the math that is not uh, this is a six billion dollar project, so this is only one hundred million. But still, it will allow the government to announce and the consortiums to start construction um, shortly. How much of an impact this would be? It's still undecided for the future, but it will still give some funding while they're on the works with the IDB to create a trust that will also provide, in this case, more money, one billion. But still, it's one billion of a six billion dollar program, so there are still more developments ahead. Uh, the interest part here is obviously we have reported about the uh, financial problems Argentina is having right now and how is it impacting its PPP and renewable pipeline, but also regarding the the reputational risk. This is like a sign of them because in order to get these kind of credit lines, they have to sign a reputational agreement with some specifications very 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 um, very strict that were done with the IDB support as well, and so in this case. It is kind of giving them money, but also securing like a uh, guarantee of for reputational risk in this in this case. So, why don't you tell us about the uh, the Columbia court ruling? Yeah, the Columbia court ruling was something that the market was expecting quite <laughs> quite for a while now. That was uh, the constitutional court had to decide whether uh, sponsors, equity sponsors, could get uh, reimbursed even if the contracts were cancelled because of uh, corruption and. Also, what would happen with the technical advisors, the lenders, and other people involved in the project? Uh, what the court decided is that, for the as of the lenders, they could be reimbursed for the cancellation. However, the equity sponsors are not going to be reimbursed for the cancellation, which is, uh, in one way, we, you, the first thing we can think about is, okay, this is fair because they were involved in a corruption scheme, so they're not going to be reimbursed. But on the other hand. This points out to a huge problem uh, in Latin America as of now when projects get cancelled. Is what's happening to those projects? So, uh, what we reported on and what we are hearing in to the market. To back up for a sec for our listeners, obviously, when there's contractors and they go into default, there's payments made. How do the folks or the backers of that project recover uh, their cost of capital? That that is the, the issue is going to be with the equity sponsor, but also the issue is going to be. So if the equity sponsors cannot be reimbursed, this is also a huge risk for people buying projects. So the M&A process of projects that could be canceled or someone like, um, I don't know, let's, let's, this, let's name the big name here, Odebrecht. So yeah. you, you will never buy an Odebrecht project because you will never know as of now what could be the reputational risk. The diligence will be so difficult because you will never get your equity back. So in that sense, it reduces the M&A project and this is for Odebrecht, but we have reported this for the Solarte projects as well in Colombia. This is like a huge impact for equity M&As in pre-construction or during construction stage in particular because the project is not done yet. And so the big question is going to be, 
as always with these corruption cases, what is going to happen to those projects? Are they going to be cancelled and retended? That takes a lot of time, money, and years. Are they going to be sold? After this court ruling, it looks like um, there's not going to be what the government's like to say, a market solution. There's not going to be someone stepping in and putting the money and say, hey, I'm going to finish the contract anyway. And so... We're still, we will still have to see what the impact of this court decision is going to be. But for sure, as of now, what we can say is that the market is worried and it's going to take at least a few more steps before seeing uh, some equity transfers in the, in the market. Great. Well, thanks for that uh, update, Juan. Appreciate it. And that's all the time we got for today. Uh, so thanks uh, for joining us. And uh, we'll uh, look forward to next month. Break out.